The psalmist said, I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Welcome. It is good to be with you today to worship God at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join me in speaking the call to worship that is printed in your bulletin. Let us exalt our God the King. Let us praise his name forever and ever. Every day we will praise him and extol his name forever and ever. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. They tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might, so that all people may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Please pray with me. Loving God, Holy Trinity, your goodness surrounds us, in front of us, beside us, behind us, before us, after us, above us, below us, within us, and around us. In great love, you have preceded and invited each of us into this place, and in great compassion, you bridge the gap to enable us to worship you. Create us now as your body, the worshiping community, in union with your church around the world and across the ages, that we may know and live your kingdom even now on earth, as it is in heaven. Through Christ. Amen.
Amen. That's why we're here, to praise our God. So glad that you are part of this time of worship today. I want to invite you to share a word of greeting, a word of peace with others who are here in worship today. This is one of those things that makes your heart skip a beat. I'm so overwhelmed to see children laughing, smiling, and having beam on their face. This is a gift to be able to give a gift. I'm just overwhelmed by seeing these families and individuals who are praying with their kids. It's amazing what little items in a shoebox can do to change people's lives all across the world. And if they're the future leaders, then if they had a good foundation, then they'll be the best. Just remember, pray for these kids that get these boxes, that they'll come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. God bless you, and have a Merry Christmas. for collecting the Operation Christmas Child shoe boxes. We will be taking them tomorrow morning to the distribution center. So you can bring them throughout today. If you didn't bring it this morning, you can drop them either by the church offices or in either of the foyers, and we'll make sure that they get to the proper place. And be in prayer that God will use these simple gifts for to do something amazing for the children and their families who receive them. We have one week left in our prayer vigil. We've had two weeks of praying, and uh, it's been exciting to, to watch people come and go in and out of the room and follow each other and hear stories about what God is doing. And uh, we want this last week as well to be a time of openness to God and let God speak into our lives. You can sign up this morning uh, in the back foyer, anytime online, to call the church office. And uh, we, we want to fill up this last week with our prayers in these next uh, seven days of 24-hour prayer. Next Sunday night at 6 is when the prayer vigil ends, and we'll be gathering together as we've done other years. We'll be meeting in the community room, time for singing, time for sharing, and also uh, something uh, memorable that we will do to, uh, to etch this, this prayer vigil into our minds so that we will continue to remember what God has done for us individually and corporately. So we hope you'll join us next Sunday night. There are a couple of inserts in your bulletin. Uh, There's one about the next Sunday is the the yearly Sunday when we uh, gather food for our food pantry. We have been helping a lot of people every week, and the the shelves are pretty much bare. So whatever you can bring next Sunday would be greatly appreciated. You can bring it to the worship service Sunday. Of course, you can drop off things anytime. And on the back side of that sheet is is a note that you, if you have a connection with the college, you probably received this email uh, about the donation week at the campus store. And uh, you get some discounts on things that you buy there by bringing in food. So please take note of that as well. We appreciate the, the uh, campus store's help in raising food for our food pantry. And uh, you saw the video earlier about Follow, the Western Youth Convention. There's an insert about that as well and ways you can be involved in helping. Tuesday, as I was going in to vote, 
I, I was struck again by how much I take for granted the freedoms that we have. The freedom to go vote and not be coerced into how I'm going to vote. And the freedom to talk about the election, you know, to, to agree or to disagree in any way we want to. And the freedom to come and worship. I mean, these are things that I suspect we probably take for granted and we shouldn't. And it struck me as apropos that today is a day when we remember two groups of people related to those freedoms. One is Veterans Day today. And it is a day when we remember and give thanks for all who have sacrificed to allow us to have the freedoms that we enjoy. And we appreciate the people who have given sacrifices. And it's not just the people who are in the military, but their families as well who have sacrificed in the process of that. And so we want to say thank you to all of you who have given, have sacrificed. And maybe we could just take a moment even to, if, you, if you're a veteran or if you're a family member of a veteran, or if you're in the military now, why don't you just stand a second and we want to thank you and honor you. Do we have people? I know we have some folks here. Yeah. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. And the other group that we remember today is that we join with the church around the world to remember to pray for the persecuted church. These are people who don't have the freedoms that we have. Our brothers and sisters, there are millions of our brothers and sisters who live in places where they can't worship freely. They can't do what we're doing this morning. They are hindered from doing that. They're prevented from doing that. They're threatened if they do it. And you can imagine how they might feel neglected, ignored, alone. And so today we join with our brothers and sisters around the world to pray for them and to to care for them and to ask God to help them know that we remember, and more than that, that he remembers. And that today would be more than just a one day for remembering them, but it would be a catalyst for us to continually remember people who don't have the freedoms that we have. We have a great privilege of giving back to God from the ways in which he has blessed us so richly. So I want to invite you to stand for the singing of the doxology as the ushers assist us in our giving. Father, we are richly blessed. Thank you. Let our gifts today be an expression of our gratitude for what you've done in our lives and in this whole world. Through Christ. Amen.
the opportunity to join our hearts and our voices together in prayer. And as we do so, if you would like to use the altar rail as your place of prayer, please join me. Gracious Father, we give you thanks that Christ is our sure foundation, the cornerstone of our faith. We've come today to worship you, to sing your praises, because we know you are good and loving and merciful. And through Christ, you have provided the way of salvation for us and for the whole world. So we come in worship, in adoration, and praise, and thanksgiving. And we come interceding for people who are in need. Father, you see the pain in our hearts, and the struggle in our minds and in our bodies. You see the ways in which we hurt one another and disappoint one another. You see our self-centered behavior our self-destructive choices. And we pray that you would heal us and forgive us and restore us. Father, we pray for all who are continuing to struggle from the effects of Superstorm Sandy and, and then from this recent snowstorm. We pray that you will give strength to all of the responders people working so vigorously and that you will give hope to people who are overwhelmed with despair. We pray for the ministry of Operation Christmas Child. We ask that you would just use these simple gifts to reach children and their families and their communities for Christ. That something of these boxes would open eyes to your love. We pray for our president. Following the election on Tuesday, we pray that you will, you will bless him in these next four years. We pray that you will help him to surround himself with people who will give him wise advice. And that you will help him to make decisions that honor you and that are in the best interests of us as a nation and as we influence as the world. We pray, Father, that you will protect him. And we ask, Lord, that in this time when our nation is is divided by politics, that we would be one in Christ. Lord, we want to thank you today for all who have sacrificed for the freedoms that are ours as a nation. We are more privileged than we can imagine. For everyone who suffers from the sacrifices they have made, we pray for healing. And we pray that you would give to each one a sense of grace and peace 
and the acknowledgement of our gratitude. And Father, we ask for your protection upon our brothers and sisters who live in places of persecution. It's so easy for us to forget that many Christians in the world live with constant threats, limited freedoms to worship, the reality of violence against them simply because they call you Lord. Help us not to forget them and help them to know that we do remember and more than anything, help them to know your presence in each of their lives. Lord, as your children in this, in this place, fill us with your spirit. In this last week of our prayer vigil, speak deeply into our souls and transform us in the depths of our being. Cleanse us from sin and from the guilt of sin. Inspire us and equip us to live in faith and joy and truth and courage and love. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who has left us a model for prayer which we aspire to live even as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Our Old Testament reading for today comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 22. You'll find that on page 840 in your pew Bibles. Hear the word of the Lord. Again the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the land, You are a land that has not been cleansed or rained on in the day of wrath. There is a conspiracy of her princes within her like a roaring lion tearing its prey. They devour people take treasures and precious things, and make many widows within her. Her priests do violence to my law and profane my holy things. They do not distinguish between the holy and the common. They teach that there is no difference between the unclean and the clean, and they shut their eyes to the keeping of my Sabbaths, so that I am profaned among them. Her officials within her are like wolves tearing their prey. They shed blood and kill people to make unjust gain. Her prophets whitewash these deeds for them by false visions and lying divinations. They say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, when the Lord has not spoken. The people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and the needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land, so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please join me in speaking the prayer of confession.
Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another, that again we might dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the cloak of pride and put on Christ, that we might forgive and be forgiven. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. It's become a bit of a tradition here at Houghton Wesleyan to combine our annual faith promise offering with our fall prayer vigil. That seems appropriate, that as we spend time seeking God's direction for our lives, that we would also seek his leading for our individual commitment to that offering. For those who may not be familiar with the concept of faith promise giving, it means to make a commitment to give above and beyond our regular normal giving as God provides the resources. Three years ago, we as a church made a decision to experiment with faith promise giving in our missions budget. We selected several areas to target and set a modest goal of just over $7,000. God provided more than triple the goal. Last year, we decided to extend the experiment. We prayerfully raised the goal to $25,000, admittedly with a little fear and trepidation. And again, God provided the goal and more. There seems to be a theme here. God provides. We pray. We hear. We obey. We trust. And whether it's financing the work of Wesleyan Native Ministries, training national ministry leaders abroad, partnering with our youth to drill a well in Africa, or supporting our historical partnership in Sierra Leone, God provides. Last spring, we decided as a congregation to set this year's Faith Promise Offering Goal at $30,000. This money, please remember, is in addition to our regularly budgeted missions giving and targets very specific goals here in Houghton, in Allegheny County, and around the world. You can see the specific areas on the screen in front of you. I won't touch on all of those, but just a few to, to maybe highlight what we're trying to do. We, we sort of focus on our own Jerusalem right here in Houghton with the community service. Some of you know that as the Benevolent Fund and the Houghton Wesleyan Church Food Pantry. Pastor West mentioned that next week will be the, the Sunday that we bring food in to, uh, to help support that. But both of those areas meet very immediate, urgent needs in our community and the surrounding area. Most of you are familiar with the important work that goes on at Wellspring Ministries and how that reaches out to Allegheny County and folks who are in need here. And Jericho Road Ministries is sort of our, our Judea and Samaria, if you will, as we reach out to folks in the city of Buffalo through many different uh, ministries. 
And then we reach out around the world with our short-term missions trips, with, with some of our field shares, and with our, maybe one to focus on, our, our World Hope International Well Project. Uh, our youth, uh, some of you may be aware, have been for several years working with a group called Motivation for Dehydration, raising funds and doing projects locally to raise money that will go to drill a well in Africa. And that particular area of this year's Faith Promise will allow us to partner with our youth as, as we bring that project to completion and see that well uh, finished. Total goal this year, uh, $30,000. The plan is to introduce the goal today and have you begin asking, asking God what your part of this goal might be. This could be a good topic to add to your list for your time in the prayer room. Next week, we'll pass out commitment cards, and you'll have another week to think and to pray. And then on December 2nd, we'll collect those cards as we, we plan for what will be given between now and the end of May 2013. Remember, faith promise giving is not about figuring out what you can afford to give. It's asking God in faith to provide resources, unexpected resources, the source of which you may not even know now with the promise to put that amount toward his work. We as a church want to faithfully represent God in our, well, or in our world, at home and abroad. This offering helps us to do that. Thank you for your participation. In the tradition of the church through the centuries, um, in acknowledging the presence of Christ in the reading of the gospel, please stand for the reading of the gospel. This text is taken from the Gospel of John, first chapter. You can find it on page 1049 in your pew Bible. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now the Pharisees who had been sent questioned him, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany, on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. 
I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen, and I testify, that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and said, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. This is the word of the Lord.
Have you ever asked yourself the question, how does a Christian impact the world for Jesus? What do you say? What do you do? What does that even look like? What does it mean to be an effective witness for Christ? In a world of people who desperately need Jesus, what does God expect of us as his followers? I've been wrestling with those questions throughout my life, as I suspect maybe you have. And and, and it seemed to me that maybe hearing just a little bit about my life might help you answer those questions for yourself. I should introduce myself. I'm, I'm Andrew. And I was born in the town of Bethsaida on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's, Bethsaida is famous for, well, not much of anything. It's kind of an obscure place, sort of like, I don't know, Houghton? There's really not a lot going on there. But I was fortunate to be raised in a devout home. We were taught the Shema and we went to the synagogue and we prayed our prayers and we heard over and over and over again about the Messiah. About the one who would come someday and restore the glory of Israel as in the days of the great King David. And we waited and watched and listened for that day. We weren't really sure as we got older what we were to do with everything we had learned. There was still something in us that that just wasn't quite connecting the way we wanted it to. And maybe that's what was so appealing to me about John the Baptizer. That's why I went 50 miles to, to the Jordan River to see him and eventually be baptized by him and and to connect myself with him. There's an interesting guy, John the Baptizer. You know, he is a man of integrity and faith, and he loved to to confront the religious leaders, and we all would stand back and go, yes, that is so awesome. Give it to him, John. You know, John was a little different, a little, I don't know, maybe quirky, a little out there, you know. I mean, the, the hair, the... The clothes, the locusts, and the honey for his diet. It's not exactly mainstream. But what a magnetic personality. Man, he he would start teaching, he would start talking, and we couldn't get enough. But really, John's message was, was pretty simple. It was confrontational, but it was pretty simple. He really only talked about two ideas. He kept saying over and over again, people need to repent of their sins. And you ought to be baptized as a response, a sign of your repentance. And he talked about the Messiah. And he kept telling us, he's coming soon. There was a day that changed everything in John's ministry and in our lives. Because a guy showed up one day that John could not be more excited about. 
Unfortunately, I missed it. I wasn't there that day. But the next day, we were listening to John teach, and the excitement was still bubbling up in him. And he stopped, and he pointed at a guy, and he said, There he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said he came after me, but surpassed me because he was really before me. And we looked at each other and said, how can you walk away from that? And we got up and we started following him. We really didn't want him to know we were following him because if he really was the Messiah, it's pretty intimidating to think you would actually be in the presence of the Messiah. We just kind of wanted to know where he was going, hang out maybe where he lived, and maybe in a week or two, a month, have a conversation with him. So we thought we were being pretty surreptitious in following him, but he stopped and he turned around and he looked at it and he said, what do you want? You ever have those moments when somebody speaks to you, you're not expecting it, and you're so overwhelmed and intimidated, you, you can't get words out? You just sort of stumble over your words. And that's how I was when I looked at this guy. I didn't know what to say. I was just taken back by the fact that this might really be the one that Moses spoke about and David and the prophets. And finally, the only thing I could get out of my mouth was, so Rabbi, where do you live? Thinking, oh, I think back of that now. Surely I could have thought of something better than that. You know, something theological. So are you really the Christ? Where do you live? But you know, Jesus is okay. He's not mind at all. He said, well, come and find out. Us? Really? Yeah, come on. And so we went to his house. And, and we sat at his house all the rest of the day, into the night, listening to him and talking with him and questioning him and learning from him. I mean, he told me things about how I understood myself that I never thought of before. He told us things about God that we had never dreamed of understanding before. Something about the way he talked just made God real. And when we were done, and we walked out of his house, the only thought in my mind was, I got to go find my brother. I've got to go tell him. I wasn't exactly sure how Peter was going to respond. You know, sometimes it's a little hard to, it's hard to talk to people who are closest to us about those deep spiritual things. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger about that stuff than to talk to the people who really know us. And I wasn't sure exactly what Peter would say, but I just knew that something in me was already changing. And I loved my brother. And I wanted him to know that change as well. I shouldn't have worried because as I came running down the beach, yelling, we found the Messiah, we found the Messiah. This look on his face was just joy. And I grabbed him and I took him back to Jesus and I introduced them. And we talked some more. It was a couple of weeks later, I think, when... Peter and I were talking again about Jesus. That's about all we talked about from that night on. It was this about Jesus and that about Jesus. And we've been out fishing all night and the whole time talking about Jesus. And now we were sitting on the shore, mending our nets, talking about Jesus. You see, we're, we're fishermen. That, that's what we do. 
That, that's, I mean, my father was a fisherman. My grandfather was a fisherman. And you grow up in a place like Bethsaida, you don't have a lot of choices about what you're going to do. You just do what, you just follow the family business. If your family works with wood, you know, you grow up, you're going to be a carpenter. Your family's part of the Levitical line. You grow up, you're going to work in the synagogue, in the temple. And if your family works with nets and boats and water, you're going to be a fisherman. So we're there mending our nets, talking about Jesus, doing what we always did. And we heard a voice behind us. And we turned around, it was Jesus. And he said, Andrew, Peter, put down your nets. Come follow me. In that moment, it was both the most difficult and the easiest decision we ever made. It was difficult because we were leaving on the shore our identity, our family. Everything that that really made us who we are, we left it lying there right on the beach. But it was the easiest thing because it was Jesus. The one. And we actually, we couldn't get up fast enough. And we went and we followed him. And something in us just continued to change. And, and it just felt like all I wanted to do was to keep introducing people to Jesus. I remember, I remember we were, we were by a, a, sh- a shore of the lake. And it was kind of a desert area, not much around, but Jesus wanted to stop there. And we, we put the boat up on the shore and, and Jesus got out and he began to teach. And of course, like everywhere we went, people heard about Jesus and they came flocking to him. Everyone who had any kind of disease or illness or sickness, they brought them to Jesus and he healed them and he taught. And, and we were enthralled with him and the people just kept coming and coming and coming we lost total track of time until we started hearing babies cry and toddlers getting restless and murmuring in the crowd about missing lunch and being hungry for supper. And what are we going to do? And what are you going to do for us? And, and we we're like, we got to get these people out of here. We got nothing to serve them. And we went to Jesus and said, look, you got to send them home. And I didn't expect Jesus to respond positively to that just knowing that he cared about people and he wouldn't want these men, women, and children walking two, three, four hours home. But I didn't expect him to turn to us and say, well, give them something to eat. What? We got nothing to eat. What do you mean give them something to eat? What could we possibly give them? He said, just give them something to eat. We all got together and we're talking through this. You got anything? No, I got nothing. You got anything? No, I have nothing. And then I remembered Earlier in the day, I had noticed a little boy sitting by himself. He must have come alone. And, and he just something about him just attracted me. And I went over to him and, and I met him and we talked. And I noticed he had a little lunch with him. And I thought, well, maybe the kid's got a lunch. We've got to gather what we can. So I found him. I said, Daniel, how would you like to meet Jesus? Oh, man, his face lit up. Yeah. I said, okay, do you still have your lunch? He said, yeah. He opened it up and there were a couple little fish and about five rolls in there. And I said, all right, I'll take you to meet Jesus, but I think he's going to want your lunch. <laughs> like, what? Why would Jesus want my lunch? I said, I, I don't know, but I, I think he's going to want your lunch. Would you be willing to give it to him? 
And he thought about that for a moment. He said, okay. So I took him by the hand and I led him to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, this is Daniel. And Jesus did the most amazing thing. He got down on his knees and he looked right in the eyes of this little boy. I don't know, six, seven years old. And he said, Daniel, it's so nice to meet you. I'm so glad you're here today. And he gave him a big hug. Daniel didn't say a word. He didn't say anything the whole time. Any of what was going on. He just reached down, picked up his lunch and kind of went like this, you know. <laughs> and I said to Jesus, Daniel has a little lunch and he's willing to give it to you. And for the next two hours, that little boy stood over there and watched Jesus feed this crowd of, I don't know, 8, 10, 12,000 people from his little lunch. I don't know what happened to him as he got older, but I can't help but believe that he grew into a man who continually gave whatever he had to Jesus. Let me tell you one other story. We didn't know it at the time, but it was the last week of Jesus' life, his life on this earth. We knew something strange was up because Jesus had been avoiding Jerusalem for a long time. And out of the blue, he said, all right, we're going to Jerusalem. We tried to talk him out of it. Jerusalem, people in Jerusalem, they wanted to kill him. We figured, well, if we're going to go, we'll, let's, we'll probably sneak into the city, meet with a couple people in their home, and then sneak back out again. But Jesus had other plans. He gets a donkey and gets on top of it and, and rides into the city as the people line the road shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they're putting palm branches down on the road. And I'm thinking to myself, well, they know you're here now. And then he goes into the temple And he sees the money changers there in the court of the Gentiles. And he grabs a whip and he starts whipping them. And turning over the tables. And telling them to get out of there. This is a place for prayer. And we all looked at each other and thought, well now we've really had it. And of course by the end of the week, he was on the cross. It was Tuesday. I think it was Tuesday of that week. Jesus was meeting people, healing, teaching. Crowds gathered around as always. And we were, disciples were just sort of trying to keep order. I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned around and it was Philip, another disciple. He grabbed me by the sleeve and pulled me over and he said, Andrew, I don't know what to do. I said, what? He said, well, there are some people here from Greece. And they're not Jews. They don't really know that much about our faith. But they want to meet Jesus. What do we do? I had discovered as the 12 of us talked. That while there are lots of things we didn't understand. There were some things that each one of us picked up on that the others didn't. There's something that, that Philip understood that I couldn't get. And things that I understood that he didn't. And one of the things that I understood was that Jesus wanted everyone to come to him. It didn't matter your race 
or your nationality or your class in society or even your occupation. Jesus welcomed everyone. And there was no time of the day or night when Jesus would turn someone away. And I said to Philip, I'm pretty sure he'd be willing to see them. And we led them to Jesus and I introduced them. And out of that conversation led to Jesus talking about his impending death and resurrection and the kingdom. I've been thinking a lot about my life. And especially in comparison to my brother Peter. We're we're very different. Peter's boisterous and loud and I'm quiet and reserved. Peter's impetuous. He'll do anything on the spur of the moment. He'll say anything that comes to his mind. I'm a planner. I, I, don't, I only speak when I feel like I've, I've understood what I want to say. And Peter's the, the life of the party. He's the face of the party. I mean, he's the one. People just want to be around him. And I tend to be in the background is sort of supporting things. We're so different. And our lives have taken different turns as followers of Jesus. And sometimes that's bothered me. I wonder, am I making any difference? Because I realize I'm, I'm never going to write a life of Christ like John, Matthew. I'm, I'm not going to preach to... Thousands of people like my brother. I'm probably not going to be a leader of the church like Paul. All I really know how to do is introduce people to Jesus. And it took me a while to understand that that's okay. And in fact, I am coming to see that there are very few people who do what Peter and Paul and John and Matthew do. And a lot of people who do what I do. And what I, when I introduce people to Jesus, it's my relationships. It's about being with people and listening to people and caring for people and, and loving people. What I really want is, is just to be, I don't know, kind, kind of a bridge to people. I love the pictures that are on the wall, and you might not be able to see them real well there, but these pictures of bridges. That's what I want to be, that someone who takes people who are not connected and connects them like a bridge. And what I'm discovering is that, that my calling is not so much to bridge from people to Jesus as it is from Jesus to people. Because for people who really don't know a lot about Jesus, they don't really understand you need to trust Jesus. What they need to know is that Jesus can be trusted. They need to know what Jesus is really like. That he's good and loving. That he is gracious and generous to a fault. That he's the way and the truth and the life. And I just simply want to be the person who helps them know a little bit about that. 
And it's not that, that I become friends with people so that I can introduce them to Jesus. But it's because I love people and, and these people are important to me and I build relationship with them and, and I want them to have what I have. I want them to know life in a way that I know it. Because I'm pretty sure, like me, they had this yearning in their soul and, and they didn't have an answer for that. And I want to tell them, I've got an answer for you. And it's not me, it's Jesus. Let me tell you what he's like. Let me tell you about him. Let me show you who Jesus is. I have a feeling that very few people are going to remember me. That's okay. But if you do think about me, I'd like for you to to remember that Andrew was a disciple who loved to introduce people to Jesus. Who was, lived his life to be a bridge so that people would know who Jesus really is and what Jesus really wants to do in their life. That's what I want my life to be. What do you want your life to be? Maybe it would be good to take a few moments to ponder that.
receive the benediction. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.